It's January 21st, 2007, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. Before we get started with today's interview, I just wanted to share a couple of personal things. Uh, first of which is that I'm going to be interviewed on uh, Better Photo Radio this coming Friday, the 26th of January. And uh, I'll be talking about uh, my work primarily in, in portraiture. I'll have a link on the website um, for that. So if you want to take a listen, the interview uh, begins at uh, 1 o'clock. Um, you can go to wsradio.com for a link, or you can go to the link that will be on the blog page. And uh, you'll have the opportunity to ask questions if you call uh, a number which will be listed on the site um, on, on that day. The other thing is that uh, I've been doing a, a personal blog for a while in which I, I post an image daily. And um, I think one of the things I thought about doing this year was sort of making a challenge for myself to um, pick a particular theme and then to shoot only images related to that theme for that for that week, and then posting them on on the blog and talking about the the process behind uh, each of the images. Um, you know, I, I, it was primarily uh, I did it for largely just a personal exercise, but some of you might be interested in it. And if you go to lafotoboy.blogspot.com. Uh, you'll see what I've done uh, so far and hope to continue through the rest of the year. And uh, L.A. Photoboy is spelled L-A-F-O-T-O-B-O-Y dot blogspot dot com. And again, I'll have a link on that site for, for those of you who are interested. Today's guest is someone that if you are subscribing to this podcast, you're likely already familiar with. Brooks Jensen has his own podcast as well as what I consider probably the best photo magazine available today which is lens work. And uh, for you, those of you who are not familiar with it, with the magazine, I, I suggest you rush to uh, your local bookstore and um, pick up a copy. Um, it's, a, it's a magazine that's largely dedicated to the art of photography. Uh, there's not a lot of content in terms of technical stuff, you know, camera reviews and printer reviews and, you know, uh, evaluations of software. You're going to find elsewhere. But if you just have a love and a passion for photography, this is the magazine for you. Not only is the printed edition fantastic, but they have an expanded edition that comes available on uh, CD or DVD. And there they have not only the printed text from the magazine, but they have additional contact, content in the form of audio interviews with the photographers whose images appear in the magazine, which is just, it's invaluable. It's when I first got turned on to it, I was, I was, the only thing I regretted is I hadn't found out about it earlier. Um, if you enjoy the show, if you enjoy uh, Jeff Curto's show, um, in terms of, you know, just the dialogue about photography, this magazine has to be on your list of things to, to listen to and to subscribe to and to support. And um, Brooks is a, a photographer in, in his own right. And you'll see links uh, on, on the blog to, to some of his images. And I was really looking forward to uh, having an opportunity to talk with him because I've been listening to his podcast, his Lenswork podcast, for, for well over, I think, a year now. 
and uh, it's one of my favorite things to listen to um, when I when I uh, log in in the morning. So uh, I think you're going to enjoy the interview, and I think you really will benefit from uh, supporting such a great publication as Lens Work. And uh, here's our interview with Brooks Jensen. But thank you for uh, agreeing to do the to do the interview. And my first question for you is: I want uh, to hear why photography is is important to you. Uh, what role has it, and con- does it continue to play in your life? Well, long before we started lens work, uh, I was a photographer. And have been, you know, ever since I can remember, for all intents and purposes. Um, to me, it, it's a way to explore the world. I've been fascinated with the <laughs> the simplest of things. For example, the, the eternal question, you know, why are we here? What are we as conscious creatures? A lot of these are, you know, philosophical questions that have plagued mankind from uh, the beginning of uh, time. And, and to me, photography was simply a way to explore some of those ideas, particularly just just to look at the world in ways that um, encouraged us to do so more carefully than through casual observation. And particularly when I saw the, the really terrific photographers who had done that, you know, long before our generation. And for me, that was Wynne Bullock and um, Joseph Sudek and Paul Strand and Alfred Stieglitz and Edward Weston. Uh, you know, when I looked at their photographs and saw how they had used photography to explore the world and to and to ask these fundamental questions and try to find out what is, um, I, I thought, you know, it's 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 maybe not the most intellectually challenging pursuit. You know, a person could be a philosopher, I suppose, or a mathematician, but photography seemed to be more suited to my skills, and I've been involved with it ever since. It's an interesting uh, point that you make there, because um, I know in your experience with with the magazine and, and, and mine as well, I see a, a lot of pictures that come through for a potential submission, particularly when we're doing, doing contests. And the biggest question I'm always asking whenever I look at at these images is is show me the world in a way that I haven't seen it before. And the great majority of 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 the images that usually come through are basically things I've seen before. They're basically duplicates of of work that that other people have already done. But the people who really end up standing out and and producing exceptional work consistently at least for me are always showing me some something that I may have been observing even in my everyday life but they somehow t- have a take on it that opens my eyes anew and uh, is that the experience that you have in, in your role as both as a photographer and, and as a publisher yeah I, I think you said it very well um, I, th- there are several different approaches to photography, obviously. Um, Photography has always impressed me as a a term, as a word, as 
having sort of the functional equivalent of the word writing. And when someone says, I'm a writer, it doesn't tell you very much about them because there's so many different kinds of writing. And the same thing can be said of photography. So when someone says, gee, I'm a photographer, the first thing I want to know is, well, that tells me about maybe some equipment that you use or some approach that you use, but what do you photograph and for what purpose? There are photographers like, uh, well, this, this could be shot down, I suppose, but there are photographers like Ansel Adams that show us uh, the world out there as it exists. And then there are uh, photographers like uh, Edward Weston or maybe even Minor White, um, or contemporarily, I think of abstract photographers like Carl Chiarenza or maybe even Aaron Siskin, who show us the world as it exists in their minds. And um, in, in, in the use of photography to explore the world and to look at it um, differently uh, and, to, and to try to communicate that differently to people, it, it is a reflection of the person's internal creative process. And that's what led me to start something like lens work, because I was more interested in that creative internal process than I was in the equipment or the technical gear or the techniques or whatever. So when it comes to expressing oneself uniquely and not simply regurgitating the same kinds of things that other people have done and trying to be creatively expressive personally, it, uh, it, it is, I think, the great challenge. And so I've often said that after a person has invested all the time and energy to learn the craft, to learn a certain uh, photographic visual literacy, and they sort of know what happens uh, or what happened historically, that's when the real task of photography begins, when you start using the tools to create your own internal self and a lot or not to create your own internal self but to express your own internal self and a lot of people find that is the most difficult barrier of all and that's why i think we get so many photographers whose work is essentially rehashing the same old images and the same old ideas that we've seen throughout history. There are lots and lots of people who go to Yosemite to photograph, for example, and lots and lots of them make pictures that look just exactly like the Ansel Adams pictures do, which is a compliment to Ansel Adams because essentially he taught us to see Yosemite in a certain way. But it's when someone goes to Yosemite and sees it with new eyes that in my way of thinking anyway, you're yeah, starting to be an artist. That, that's one of the reasons why I enjoy working with um, with kids and teaching them teaching them photography because more often than not they're not burdened with what's come before and oftentimes I will see them produce images that I'm envious of because they they are taking a very distinct and very personalized view of the world and using the camera to, to document it um, one of the things that when I'm when I'm working with it with the students is I ask them to consider all the images that they they see during the course of the day, you know, on television, on on billboards, in magazines, and I ask them the question of think about how much of the images that you see every day really relate to what your life is, to your reality, 
mm-hmm. you know, and creating the real, creating the realization that all of us in today's age are constantly bombarded with photographs, which are primarily created in order to to sell us something, and that that personalized photograph, whether it's created by ourselves or by a fine artist, has such an important role in in allowing us to communicate and then allowing us to kind of document our world in a way that that otherwise wouldn't uh wouldn't be and um especially yeah that's that's true uh the 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 double-edged sword on that though is that uh if if the craft is used poorly uh which beginners, kids, uh, people who just pick up a camera, they often don't have the craft techniques down. They can uh, find expressions that are meaningful, but they can't express them very well because they don't understand the craft. So that's the first side of the sword, is we've got to take the time to learn how to use the tools. The other side, of course, is that if the expression is too personal, uh, is too self focused or self-centered, I might even say, um, that then the work is not of interest to anybody else. There has to be some sense of uh, universality in order to make an image or an artistic statement uh, understandable or at least appreciable by other people who are looking at it. And so a lot of times I look at the, um, at the, the really almost personal diary kind of photography and uh, have a hard time relating to it because it is so personal and so interdirected that it, it just is hard to connect with. It's a fine line. Mm. It's a hard, hard thing to find exactly where you express yourself, but are but are doing so in such a way that what you're uh, expressing is somehow universal enough that an audience can appreciate it and connect with it. Yeah, yeah, and, and that whole issue about. The, the fixation in terms of, 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 of equipment. Like your magazine is a perfect example of, of the contradiction to all that because most of the magazines that exist out there are so focused on, you know, gear and software and, and how to, that that whole idea of, of how to use these tools to express uh, a, a, you know, a personal vision is pretty much put on, on the back burner. Um, and thankfully, you know, there are magazines like yours and, and the stuff that you do with the podcast that creates that sort of awareness. But what what do you think keeps people from making making that transition? Because there are a lot of photographers who, you know, for um, who just end up being stuck in that particular place and they can't really make that transition to really thinking in terms of what they are doing with their equipment in terms of a a craft or an art? Boy, that's a complicated question and one that's fascinated me my my whole life. Um, Because, quite honestly, I have to ask that about myself as much as trying to ask it for anybody else. But but, but a few few ideas immediately come to mind as being somewhat (laughs) universal. And the first and the foremost, I think, is... Uh, the, the simple fact that the minute you uh, stick your neck out there and make an artistic statement, uh, produce a piece of artwork, uh, take a stand, as it were, and say, this is how I see the world, or this is what I consider a significant photograph, 
the minute you do that, uh, there are going to be people who um, disagree, who throw stones and criticize you, and that is a very painful process. And a lot of photographers who are very accomplished technically and can make a beautiful uh, piece of technology, a beautiful photograph technically, will struggle to express themselves internally because that is vulnerable. That, that's putting yourself out there. and People mm -hmm. don't want to do that. Uh, it's, it's a hard thing to take the knocks when you invest your soul into the creation of something and somebody else says, nah, nah who cares, that's meaningless. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a hard thing to endure. Uh, an, another thing, quite honestly, is the the uh, the nature of photography is one of um, I, I've, I've often referred to it as a set of uh, increasing disappointments. You know, you see an image in your mind's eye, and it's fabulous, and then you you know dig out your camera and you make the exposure, and you think, well. I had to make some compromises to make the exposure, but it's still almost fabulous. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the negative, and it looks terrific, but maybe not fabulous. And by the time you put it in the enlarger and make the print, it you know it starts looking pretty crappy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, this, it's this long series of disappointments. And that also is a frustration to people because they know that what they see in their mind's eye is so marvelous and so terrific, but yet the translation of that into molecules in the form of a photograph is such a disappointment, so often anyway, not always, but so often, that um, it's difficult to then take uh, something that's so different from what you see in your mind's eye and put it up on the wall or in the gallery or whatever and say, gee, isn't, isn't this spectacular? Because you know it's not as good as what you saw in your mind's eye. So th there's just a couple of examples of what... Um, challenges people uh, when they decide they want to be a fine art photographer or want to do something that's personally expressive. Uh, th there's lots of others, too. Uh, peer pressure, uh, gee, that, that's not what I think a photograph ought to look like. The whole business about critiques, you know, the, the, the basic nature of most critiques is if it were my photograph, I'd do it this way. I don't like yours because it doesn't look like mine. Mm -hmm. As a podcaster, you know how this works. I mean, um, you probably get compliments all the time for your podcasts, as you should, because uh, they're, they're really terrific podcasts, and I enjoy right. them. But uh, it's, it always strikes me odd when someone's compliment to you is, you think exactly like I do. I think it's wonderful what you're doing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, uh, so that's to say, if, if I didn't, think exactly like you do, then what I'm doing is not wonderful. I mean, that's that herd mentality, the the, the peer pressure to, to make us all do the same kind of thing. Yeah, that's uh, very true. It, it, yeah, and so there, there's lots of reasons why it's hard to be a creative artist, uh, and uh, but but that's that's part of the fun of it, too, is the challenge of overcoming those limitations. In, in line with this this line of conversation, how important is failure to the artist? Um, how important is failure? Well, uh, my, my first reaction is it's not important at all because what we want to do is succeed. I, it's not a matter of is it important. 
as much as that it's unavoidable, <laughs> uh, you just you, you can't uh, avoid uh, failure. As a matter of fact, probably you're going to fail more often than you're going to succeed by very, very large uh, ratios. Uh, so it's not something that's important, but it's something that you better get used to. Um, and it's something that you can learn from. In that regard, failure is important. Um, but the failure, to, to me, is not nearly as important as the, the process of trying. Trying is more important than failing. Ooh, that sounds like Yoda. <laughs> I, I bring that there up. There's no just try. Because, there is only do. You know, <laughs> I bring like I bring that. that up just because so many people have this fear of failure, which prevents them, you know, from taking taking risks and and from stressing themselves or you know or you know what I'm saying. So it's kind of like um, for me, it's it's I because I've not been fearful of them. I actually embrace the failures because it forces me to look at what I'm doing, what I'm failing to do and why I, like you said, why that final print is not coming across the way I had imagined it in my, in my mind's eye. So I, and you know, the whole idea of making mistakes as failures is not, is sort of like a taboo subject amongst, you know, a, a lot of fledgling artists and creative people who aspire to do this because they, I think we're all, you know, to some extent, perfectionist to to one greater degree or other. Well, yeah, fear of failure is um, sort of goes hand in hand with fear of embarrassment. I think, and there's self worth issues. I mean, that, that's why being an artist is uh, very closely related and tied to the whole idea of self image psychology and positive thinking and. Anybody who's been through any of that kind of training, uh, in whether it's in business or in school, understands that all of those things are perfectly applicable to uh, the pursuit of, of a fine art career, be it photography or anything else. One of the nice things about photography, quite honestly, is it allows us such a high failure ratio uh, with very little consequence. I- imagine being a painter by comparison where you sit down with a canvas and you spend hours and hours and hours and hours working on that canvas and um, in the end it fails. Well, there's very high consequence for that mm-hmm. failure. Whereas a photographer, we can go out with you know half a dozen rolls of film on an afternoon and if we get one good shot, who cares that the other 36 exposures on the roll or the other 50 sheets of 4x5 film go in the trash. The only thing that counts is the one that we did. So our our ability to fail in photography is quite high, yeah. uh, and that's good. What's even more problematic, I think, is which you touched on just briefly there, is um, perfectionism, uh, which is a terrible, terrible problem for people that want to be creative and productive. Because if if you're hung up with perfectionism and you feel this um, uh, subconscious urge to do everything perfectly. Uh, the practical result is that you won't do the work. I mean, it's it's. Uh, if you've studied perfectionism at all, you know that the practical consequence of perfectionism is procrastination. Mm-hmm. If I don't ever complete anything, uh, no one can find fault with it, and I never uh, fail to meet my objective of perfectionism. This plagues a lot of photographers who never never seem to bring a project to completion. 
there's uh, they've always got something they're working on. This, this shows up a lot of times in workshops or critiques or whatever, where someone will show a, a matted uh, and sometimes even signed piece of work, and they'll put it up for everybody to see, and they'll say, well, this is just a work print. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very clever way of saying I'm not done with it, so that's a way to psychologically insulate themselves and protect themselves from uh, criticism and that, that fear of failure and perfectionism and all, all those kinds of things that get all wrapped together. Yeah. Like I say, it's a hard thing to stand up and say, I think this is worthy of you looking at, because that's essentially what we're doing mm-hmm. as artists, is we're saying, I, I, I as an artist think you ought to take your valuable time and your valuable attention and look at something I've produced because I think it's the most important thing you can do with your time for the next few moments. And that's a very egotistical thing for us to do and um, and a very uh, gutsy thing for us to do. And if the person says, nah, I don't agree with you, I think what you've made is crap, <laughs> it hurts. Yeah. One of the most interesting things that I found in, in the whole introduction of, of digital technology is the fact that with basically an inkjet printer, it's provided photographers complete control of 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 the images. Before, for the great majority of people who shot pictures, they oftentimes would, you know, send their their film to the lab and it would get you know processed and printed by another technician. But today's technology provides the ability for the photographer to have complete control from the moment he snaps the shutter until he makes that that final print. And I bring that up because it's been interesting to see how with all the different, you know, workshops and schools, there's a certain aesthetic that's taught about in terms of making a print about having an absolute, you know, good black and a good white. But then I go to an I went to an exhibit recently and I saw the work of Roy DeCarava and W. Eugene Smith and their prints are so unlike anything that I'm seeing today because they were working with... Um, tonalities that were primarily black to gray. There wasn't really an effort sometimes to have that, that, that pure crisp white that exists today. And it, it amazes me that, 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 that these photographers who, um, great photographers who were producing work, you know, 40, 50 years ago, had that sort of aesthetic. And yet today I see a sort of uniformity in terms of a lot of the prints that I, I, I'm seeing and I'm curious to hear your perspective on that, considering you get so much work coming in for possible publication in lens work. Well, um, way back when, uh, when, when I was young and rock and roll was new and we were all passionate about you know, the electric guitar and Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton showed us how to do it, uh, along came... Uh, a band called Chicago. If you're of my generation, you know who these guys mm-hmm. are. And they had brass uh, instruments in their rock and roll band. And I remember at the time thinking, well, that's not right. I mean, a rock and roll band is a couple of guys with a guitar and a drum and a bass guitar, and that that's rock and roll. And what's this brass doing in here? But the more I listened to the horns, the more I realized, gosh, that's really great, and and I really I really liked it, and 
their creativity showed me, showed a lot of us that, you know, rock and roll was not determined by a certain technology or a certain sound. And um, to, to define uh, an artistic expression by the techniques of the technology that it uses seems to me to be particularly limiting. Um, what if I told you that every single piece of classical music uh, had to have a, you know, a kettle drum and a, uh, you know, a French horn. You'd say, well, wait a minute, what, what about, you know, the pieces that don't? Does that mean they're not? What about a piano concerto? That doesn't have a kettle drum on a French horn. So, uh, for me, photography is sort of the same way. To define that it has to have a certain amount of tones or that it has to represent, you know, the entire scale in the in the uh, zone system a certain way, uh, to say that it has to be made with this kind of device, analog camera, or can't be made with this kind of device, a digital camera or printer, all of those things seem somehow to put restrictions on uh, photography that I think are unnecessary, just like the restriction of uh, you can't have brass in a rock and roll band was, was sort of a silly thing for us to or maybe just me, to think. Mm -hmm. So when I see Roy DeCarva's work and all of those low tones, um, gosh, they're absolutely marvelous. But but they're, they're not Ansel Adams tones, and they're not Edward Weston tones. Or Henri Cartier-Bresson's 35-millimeter work is not the same as, um, you know, uh, contemporarily Michael A. Smith's uh, ultra-large format camera contact prints. I mean, you know, so it's it's all different, and what you have to do is accept it for what it is and try to get beyond uh, what the form of the presentation is and look at the content. And if it's interesting, there's always going to be some content that goes beyond photography. It's going to talk about, you know, the human spirit and and those kinds of things. I, I've, I've often said it this way, that uh, I disagree with my friend John Sexton, who says that photography is about light. And to me, to say that photography is about light is, is, is the functional equivalent of saying that writing is about words. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not. Uh, good writing is never about the words themselves. It simply uses the words brilliantly to talk about life and the human condition and the foibles of being alive and etc. And the same thing with photography. If, if it doesn't address uh, the issues of, of, of uh, humanity, it's not interesting photography. So going back to Roy DeCarva again, does he make photographs that are interesting uh, comments and observations about human life? Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're mesmerizing photographs. And if you look at them from that perspective, what difference does it make that it doesn't have uh, highlight tones, you know? Or what difference does it make that uh, the, uh, uh, an image from a 35 millimeter camera has grain in it where from an 8x10 it doesn't? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not, it's not um, uh, technique or tones that make a photograph, and that's a cliche, obviously, but it's true. Yeah. One of the things in, in in listening to your to your to your podcast, you you make references to a lot of photographers, and it's amazing to me that sometimes when I 
teach fiction and these people who aspire to, to write. And I ask them who they read and they don't read anyone. They don't read, you know. And I also find that sometimes with, with photography, you want, you want to talk to some people who want to aspire to become photographers and you ask about, well, who do you, who do you look at? Who, whose work do you love? And they sort of, you know, they, they struggle to come up with, you know, maybe even half a dozen names of photographers. And I think it's, it's really important that, that we have an awareness, not only of contemporary photographers, but also photographers who, who, whose work, um, um, is exceptionally good, but that may be from 30, 40, maybe even 100 years ago, that they have something to provide us, even though they were using technology that is completely different from what we're using today. Well, that's true, but I'd, I'd take that even one step farther. Um, I'd say it's not only important for photographers to know uh, a certain photographic visual literacy, uh, but I, I extend that into the other art forms as well. I mean, how can you how can you understand portraiture as a photographer if you don't understand, for example, uh, old Karsh or Arnold Newman? Well, that that's that's a relatively easy leap to make. Mm-hmm. But I'd go farther and say, how can you understand portraiture if you don't understand Rembrandt? Because for all intents and purposes, what Rembrandt was doing with portraiture is um, related to photography just as much as what Karsh was doing with portraiture is related to photography. And the fact that Karsh used a camera and Rembrandt used a brush uh, doesn't change the fact that they were both working with portraiture. And if people don't want to have that uh, visual literacy, I suppose that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But you sort of, um, you throw out the advantage of learning from those who have gone before you. Mm. And, I, I mean, I suppose in the same way, you and I could invent a new language uh, you know, like uh, Klingon or something, <laughs> that, that only you and I can speak, uh, and we could start from scratch and invent new terms for everything under the sun. And there's nothing that would prevent us from doing that, and we could communicate effectively between the two of us. But it seems sort of unnecessary when there are so many languages that exist that we can just learn from those who have gone before us mm-hmm. and communicate effectively uh, just as well without having to reinvent the wheel. Well, same thing photographically. I, I love the fact that, you know, Joseph Sudek did beautiful, beautiful still lifes of lunch, you know, eggs and cheese and a crumpled piece of paper. But the fact that he's done that sort of means that I don't need to, because uh, he's already been there and already seen that beautifully, and I can learn from it and maybe go do something else that that someone else hasn't done. Yeah. And that you only can have that capability when you um, when you take the time as a part of your creative process to learn uh, what's gone before you. Thank yeah. God for books. Well, one of the things about photography in today is that photography has gotten caught up in the whole sort of cult of celebrity where certain photographers, particularly like in magazines and such, um, get promoted over and over and over again. Um, and thank God, you know, uh, what you do with, with lens work is provide an opportunity for 
photographers who may not have that sort of name recognition to have a, a, a opportunity to be able to, to share their work. But how do you think, how, what's your particular take on this whole idea of the celebrity photographer who's not only, you know, whose work is promoted, but whose name is used to actually, you know, sell more and more, more equipment? Well, I once uh, interviewed Oliver Galliani, a terrific photographer from the uh, Bay Area. Uh, great workshop instructor, etc. A lot of people are probably familiar with him, but not everybody, because he didn't have the same kind of fame that other people had. And he once uh, said to me when I was interviewing that uh, the worst thing that ever happened to photography was when money got involved in it. That uh, in the first half of the 20th century, when you couldn't sell a photograph for beans, photography was somehow better and purer and people weren't doing it for the money and I think he was right um, the, the the extension of that idea which uh, I would sort of trump his comment and say an even worse thing than money in photography is celebrity because it, it really is um, ultimately damaging and limiting to photography that celebrity has become so important when when someone is uh, able to get shows, uh, exhibitions, books, um, uh, etc., interviews, because they're famous, and that's what we value, it, it I think, uh, does exactly as you intimated, it tends to limit the access to those things to other uh, people, and we get the same thing over and over and over again. That is to say, uh, once Ansel Adams makes a certain view of Yosemite well-known and famous, and he becomes a celebrity, because we value celebrities, everybody else who goes to Yosemite wants to simply do what Ansel Adams did. And we see more and more of the same pictures, not only from multiple photographers, but in some regards we see the same pictures over and over and over again from the same photographer. Um, Michael Kenna comes to mind. I mean, Michael Kenna is a very talented photographer. He does lots of different kinds of photography. But you'd almost not know that um, from looking at his books and his shows and etc. because he sort of has been pigeonholed into doing that long-time exposure fuzzy water peer thing <laughs> so much that he can't get out of it because that's what he's known as. So he's not known as being a creative individual, he's known as being a celebrity who does this kind of work. Mm. And I, I just resist that. Um, when we decided to um, start including photographs in Lenswork, some people may not know this, by the way, the first 12 issues of Lenswork didn't have photographs in them. It was only articles on the creative process. But when we decided to start putting photographs in them, we, we made a very conscious decision from the, from the get-go that we were not going to simply reproduce the, the same usual suspects over and over and over again. Um, the world does not need another magazine to publish um, 
Annie Leibovitz photographs because she's already got a magazine that publishes Annie Leibovitz photographs. And for those, so we've never pursued Annie Leibovitz. Yeah. And for those people who, who may not be familiar with lens work, why don't you uh, tell us exactly what what it is and what role you see it, that it serves in the in the world of photography? Well, um, qu- quite honestly, lens work is a bit of a ripoff <laughs> in the spirit of True Confession. Uh, because I think two of the finest publications ever in photography were uh, Stieglitz's camera work from the very early parts of the 20th century and then from the middle part of the 20th century, uh, Minor White's early editions of of, uh, Aperture. And both of those publications focused strictly on on photographs and photography and on the creative aspect uh, of fine art photography and in showing work they had almost no discussions whatsoever of techniques or equipment or how to or any of that and there just hasn't been uh, that kind of publication uh, for some time in the photographic world other than uh, Aperture which is still being published uh, but it has gone in sort of a different direction. They're very contemporary in their approach. Um, and being a bit more of a traditionalist in terms of my aesthetic, I missed uh, a publication that had um, an emphasis on black and white and an emphasis on uh, a more classic visual approach. So when Maureen and I decided to start lens work in the early 90s, that's what we decided we would do, would be to provide a magazine that, that did not uh, emphasize technique or, or equipment, but focused strictly on photographs. And then by also looking at the market, if you will, and seeing all the other publications focused almost exclusively on greatest hits from the greatest celebrities. We decided to go in exactly the opposite direction and photograph uh, and publish uh, portfolios of photographs so that instead of seeing two or three photographs from a famous photographer, you might see 15 or 20 photographs from from an unknown photographer. And the, the primary inspiration for this, quite honestly, was that every time I would go to a workshop, um, uh, my first workshops were in the early 80s that I attended as a student. Uh, everybody would have uh, some greatest hits images. You know, here's my spectacular sunset shot and that kind of thing. But almost without exception, somewhere in the course of the workshop, someone would step up and say, here's a portfolio I've done. And they'd bring out some beautiful clamshell box. And uh, they would open it up and show us uh, uh, 10 or 12 or 15 pieces of work that were all related, all exploring a theme. Uh, certainly Ansel Adams had done this. Uh, other photographers had done it. It was it was not an unknown concept, and it would inspire photographers to do something like this. And it dawned on me that those portfolios had almost never any kind of venue um, Magazines didn't want them because they weren't the three greatest hits the photographer had ever done. There weren't enough photographs to be a book, so they were rarely published. 
uh, galleries didn't want to exhibit them because, again, galleries want your greatest hits because that's what sells. And so here photographers all over the place were focusing on doing these portfolios or little bodies of work, but there was no place for them to find an audience, save uh, during a workshop kind of scenario. And so we simply decided that our publication would fill that void, that that's what we would do, was publish portfolios of work. Usually they're from anywhere from 12 images to uh, 18 images, somewhere around in there. Um, we do uh, three or four of them in every issue, and they're interspersed with interviews of photographers and articles on photography and the creative process. No technical information uh, to speak of anyway. We don't do any articles on how-tos or camera techniques or darkroom techniques or any of that. Lo lots of other really great photographic magazines do that. So we do this other thing. Well, for me, it's easily, hands down, the best photographic magazine out there. I, I hardly recommend to everyone out there who, who isn't a subscriber to be to become one, and especially to the extended edition, which I think is makes makes it the whole package even better. Uh, yeah, the extended thing was was really interesting. We tried a multimedia version back in 1998, but no one knew what Acrobat was back then. <laughs> and uh, when uh, Adobe uh, changed an updated Acrobat with version 6 that allowed us to uh, embed uh, essentially MP3 files, audio files, and MPEG movies, compressed movies. Uh, it opened up the world to make Acrobat a true multimedia platform. And of course, because it's on CD, that version of Lenswork uh, doesn't have the limitations that we have in the magazine. The magazine is only 96 pages, mm -hmm. and it's always 96 pages for obvious uh, uh, limitations of the budget. And so what do you do with a photographer who sends in a portfolio that has 150 images, you know? And we get those from time to time. We have to edit them down to, you know, a, a dozen or a dozen and a half images for the magazine. But in the extended version on CD, we don't have those limitations. Yeah. So we can put lots more images, lots more portfolios. We, we have now started uh, introducing uh, color portfolios in Lenswork Extended, uh, as well as uh, some videos and interviews with the photographers, and it's it's just a lot of fun. When I talk to photographers, I find such a wealth of creativity out there. It's just very inspiring. Yeah, which is one of the reasons I, I love it so. Um, well, the last question I always ask is is for a photographer to recommend another photographer and and why. So, who would that be for you? Recommend another photographer and why? Um, well, that's a real open-ended question because there could be lots of reasons to recommend other photographers. I mean, I, I would highly recommend Win Bullock because you could see uh, the interrelationship between the pursuit of philosophy and visual imagery. I'd recommend Joseph Sudek because... Uh, there's an example of, of someone who's got all kinds of reasons not to be a photographer, including the fact he only had one arm, uh, but yet he made wonderful photographs right in his house. I'd recommend Todd Walker, because here's a guy who uh, discovered the relationship between being a fine art photographer and, the, and the, a small, humble printing press, 
and he made some wonderful books. I love the work of George Tice. Boy, finding one photographer. It's, it's, it's one of the, I know it's, it's a difficult question to answer because there's so many to choose from. But, well, uh, and, and yeah, it's one of those deals where if you say recommend a photographer, if anybody who, it, so it's, it's much more that it's much more that I want people to sort of suggest a photographer to explore, um, to explore, who, to, to explore whose work they might not otherwise find out about. Because you know we talk about the celebrity photographers all the time, and the intent behind the question was really to open up listeners to a photographer whose work they may not have heard before, but who may serve as a a great source of inspiration. Well, then, um, with that as a more specific question, I'll say Joseph Sudek is someone who you may have heard about but may not, um, mostly mostly doing photography during during and after the Second World War in um, Prague and in the related area. And contemporarily, I tell you, there's a photographer that I, whose work I have just loved ever since we discovered him and published him in Lenswork, and that's... A guy named Larry Weiss. Larry will be embarrassed that I've mentioned him here, but uh, I think his work is just terrific and very unique, and he's on a very interesting creative path, and he does have a website. So from a contemporary point of view, uh, take a look at his stuff because it's different. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. It's It's been great. It's uh, been a real honor to have the opportunity to talk with you. Well, you, you keep up the podcast because I, I've been a fan of your podcast from the very first issue, and I think it's a terrific service that you're offering, and uh, I find every single one of them has um, something interesting to say, something interesting to offer, and the biggest compliment to your interviews is that every time I'm done listening to one, it makes me want to go pick up the camera and make photographs, so keep doing it. Oh, thank you. That's, that's high praise coming from you. I, I really appreciate that. Well, thank you for listening and supporting the podcast. If you have any questions or comments, email me at thecandidframe at, at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. Until next time, this is Ivarian X. Perello, and this is The Candid Frame. Hi, this is Martin of the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast and I've teamed up with top camera bag manufacturer Lowepro to give you the chance to win an amazing stealth reporter D650 AW camera bag. To find out how, go to www.martinbaileyphotography.com as soon as is humanly possible. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at Photocast Network. .com Photocastnetwork.com